hard-hitting medical truth, cutting through conflict and confusion to the understanding you're searching for. Join Dr. Peter McCullough, world-renowned medical expert and practicing physician for this edition of the McCullough Report. Your life may depend on it. Let's get real. Let's get loud. On America Out Loud Talk Radio, this is the McCullough Report. I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. It's been another busy week in the news cycle. So many new developments to talk about. And um, I'm going to bring to you in the next several shows some original research collaborators that we've been in contact with around the world. And on the backside of the McCullough Report, we have an exclusive interview with Dr. Maria Kozma from Louisiana State University in Baton Rouge. And I think you're really going to like it. It deals with the impact of, of college lockdowns and what she's found in her original research on the college students. And really, I asked her for some of her personal reflections about how she felt as a faculty member and what other faculty members thought during the, the really, just the terrible measures that were taken during the lockdown. Now, I had a really quick-hitting interview with media podcaster and iconic figure Steve Dace and I had a chance to meet Steve had dinner with him several months ago and I learned a lot about him uh, Steve was integrally involved in the full featured film Nefarious and I heavily recommend that you go out and check out Nefarious now uh, to let you know Steve is uh, an unabashed uh, conservative Christian who is uh, deeply rooted in his faith and uh, the the film Nefarious deals with a, a an incredible struggle, uh, a struggle between good and evil. It's a gripping psychodrama. It deals with a, a prisoner, a, a psychologist who's trying to determine his sanity and whether or not he would um, you know undergo the death penalty, whether he's sane to to, uh, you know, in, in his uh, admission of a crime to undergo the death penalty. And I won't spill out the beans, but boy, when was the last time you saw a movie that was so gripping? It dealt with two actors and just this um, intense drama. Uh, you have to watch it, and it really makes you think about what's going on. I had a chance to meet the pr producers. I went to one of the premieres in Dallas for this. It was a terrific experience. And so Steve Dace was behind that, and uh, Steve relates some of his personal health struggles that he's had over the, the last several years, uh, and in particular one that just popped up. So I wanted to have you listen to Steve's question for me, and uh, you know he asks it the right way. He asks for, for permission to ask me a personal medical question. Of course, we're on the air, and then I'm giving him uh, my you know, interpretation and analysis of what's going on. And we have some other updates. So let me play that interview with Steve Dace for you so we can uh, catch up. And um, and then we'll move on to the show uh, with our exclusive interview with Dr. Maria Kozma from Louisiana State University. But now here's Steve Dace, Blaze Media. And Steve is also a major University of Michigan fan. As many of you know, I went to graduate school at U of M, also like the Maize and Blue. Here's Steve Dace. I'm in, good friend of the show, an absolute American hero, Dr. Peter McCullough. It's good to see you again, brother. How are you? Great to see you. Can I ask you a personal question with me as your patient for a second, if you don't mind? Okay. So I was in uh, L.A. 
at the end of July, I was getting ready to go do a presentation for Nefarious at Pastor Jack Hibbs Church. And as I'm getting dressed to go, I lose, I suddenly lose hearing in my right ear. And I'm only hearing like buzzing and it, it sounds like there's fireflies going on at night constantly. As soon as I get home, I go right to the uh, ENT and the specialist. They, they tell me that there has been a rash of these over the last couple of years and that they think it is some kind of a viral infection. Um, my eardrum is working and functioning. Everything is totally intact. Uh, there is some kind of a viral infection that has caused the, uh, the nerves in my ear to not uh, you know, get the exact sound that they're supposed to get. They give me weeks of, inj- of steroids and steroid injections. I get steroid injections directly into my ear, in fact, to try to resurrect uh, these nerves. And they told me there's about 70% odds that over time they can get me back to a, a level that I can use a hearing aid. And I would say my hearing's improved maybe 40 or 50% since July. Um, but I, there's, there's a woman in my small group we're very close with. She had this happen to her after she took the jab. I am wondering, I never took the jab, so I'm wondering if the strange viral infection and rash of these over the last couple of years could be a long form of, of, of COVID infection. And, and if this is further proof that basically the last few years, Peter, everybody was a lab rat, whether you took the v- vaccine or not, since it all came from the same research, we were all essentially long-term going to be lab rats and figure out whether we were infected or injected with the long-term ramifications of that research work. It's true. Uh, nearly all of us have been exposed to the Wuhan spike protein. Now, a paper by Claussen and colleagues from Harvard showed that. Uh, so, you know, when I see patients in the office, we check antibodies against the spike protein. Invariably, they're elevated. Rarely, I'll find somebody who hasn't been exposed. What you're describing is an auditory loss, uh, what's affected the auditory nerve. We know that COVID infection uh, affects the, the uh, uh, you know, the various forms of um, the nerves for taste and smell. Uh, it can affect facial nerves, cause Bell's palsy. And we know with the COVID vaccines, there's clear-cut papers showing hearing loss after the COVID-19 vaccines. It's all related to the spike protein. So I would say yes, in the absence of another explanation, I think you either had another re-exposure of SARS-CoV-2 and you may have had it or been exposed through a, a, a mechanism called shedding. So define shedding because if you aren't part of the quote-unquote anti-vax community, like my assistant Todd is, this is a familiar phrase to them. For those of us that are just getting new to all these kinds of things here in the COVID era, what does that mean? What is shedding? What is it? Shedding means that one has been exposed to the spike protein or to the messenger RNA from close contact with another individual. We know both of them can travel via exosomes, which are small phospholipid packets. That can be an exhaled breath through sweat, uh, various forms of body fluid, typically you know, very close contact. Uh, in studies, there was a big project, for instance, called the EVA Project in the UK, showing 78% of women who take a vaccine, they actually have menstrual abnormalities. And those who even didn't take a vaccine, uh, they end up having menstrual abnormalities. There's been plenty of these reports that have occurred. Uh, I have interviewed on my show, Steve, uh, expert former insert scientist Helene Benoon, and uh, she's the world's expert on shedding. She believes it, it clearly happens for sure in people who've taken the vaccine within 30 days 
close contact. Uh, and then now two studies, one in the United States, one in Japan, showing that messenger RNA comes through breast milk. The spike protein may be shedded potentially for a much longer duration of time. It's been shown in the human body now for months, maybe even years afterwards. And that's the rationale for what our recent proposal uh, to actually undergo spike protein detoxification. How worried are you? Every signal we see, cardiovascular disease, neurologic, blood clots, immune disease, and now cancer, Steve, every single indicator is up. Now, there can be debates on why all these chronic diseases are up, all-cause mortality up in every single area of the world. Uh, You know, the two big exposures we've had are COVID-19 infection and now COVID-19 vaccines. And I think both mechanisms have led to this wave of disease. Uh, I think more powerfully with the vaccines, since the vaccines are largely genetic, they're given every six months, and they install the genetic code for the disease-promoting and lethal Wuhan spike protein. You know, eventually, as you you know this better than I do, uh, viruses eventually become endemic. Uh, They mutate. They become less severe um, over time. But... With these mRNA injections, they're rolling out new lines of these constantly. Um, they're rolling out uh, not just even, you know, new for new variants, but in, in whole new ones, like for RSV and other maladies at the exact same time. How much of this do you think is that this, this version of this technology was rushed, given the urgency of the moment and the incentives of, of Operation Warp Speed to rush it? as opposed to is the technology itself fallible, fundamentally fallible. For example, Elon Musk has been very vocal looking at the data for COVID vaccination and how terrible that data is. But he is adamant that he thinks, as a guy that's made $30 billion on the cutting edge of science, he thinks mRNA technology actually has a bright future um, outside of what we've seen with its debut with COVID vaccination. What's your view? as a clinician. Let's take messenger RNA, Steve. In a paper by Lalani and colleagues from British Medical Journal, uh, messenger RNA has been in development since 1985. Tens of billions of US government dollars poured into it. No technology that our government has invested more in. Mm-hmm. In in 2012, DARPA, the research unit of the military, on its website, still on its website today, announced the ADEPT P3 program said it would end pandemics in 60 days using messenger RNA technology. Uh, Paper by Lee and colleagues, over 9,000 patents on messenger RNA. And all the patent assignees, Steve, are big entities. At the top is Sanofi, then Carevac, BioNTech, Moderna, and the U.S. government. No single person invented messenger RNA. Someone who comes up in 2021 and said, oh, you know, I invented it. it. That's impossible. This has been going on for decades. Now the Nobel Prize is awarded to Carrico and Weissman. Carrico's got 14 patents. Weissman's got uh, 150 or so patents. Uh, and and their, pa- their, their Nobel Prize is how they made lo- messenger RNA long-lasting in the human body. I mean, it has been tested in multiple applications, Steve. It's a bust. It's an absolute bust. It was just the worst idea ever to install the genetic code for a lethal protein without being able to shut it off. It wasn't the fact that it was rushed. It's just ill-conceived from the very beginning. So I want to make sure the layman out there like me, Dr. McCullough, understand what you just said, which is 
just because the public became mindful of this in the, the in the spring of 2020 and in the with, with the launch the advent of, of operation warp speed and then in january of 21 with the rollout of these of these injections that just because the public became mindful this research had been going back decades they they've been trying to master this for decades and it was a colossal failure for example moderna was 0 for 8 in bringing products to market prior to operation warp speed so that that body of evidence says to you as a guy who has started research journals and then has to take that research as a clinician and put it into practice for patients so you've been on both ends of this right you've been on the research theoretical end and then you've been on the applicable end that body of evidence tells you this just isn't going to work it's true we can't force the human body to accept foreign genetic code and produce a foreign protein now messenger rna that's fully humanized that's producing a missing protein like insulin and type 1 diabetes or alpha galactosidase and fabrase that's a different story but messenger rna for vaccines is a completely failed concept it's a dangerous concept and, uh, you know, the U.S. government wasn't honest. They should have been honest. Uh, Trump should have come out and said, listen, it's on, the, it's on our website. Our military has been working on this since 2012 because it's on the website. It's called the ADEPT P3 program. You know, anybody who does a few clicks would have seen that, that the U.S. military is working on messenger RNA to end pandemics in 60 days. That's in 2012. You know, the implications of that are... Um I don't know what the technical term is for not good, but the implications of what you just said are, well, not good, Peter. Well, it's, it's simply not being honest. If, if, uh, if it would have been presented to us differently from the day one and said, listen, uh-oh, we've got a problem. The U.S. and Chinese have had a collaboration for years trying to make a biological threat, a, a, an infectious and lethal coronavirus, and now it's gotten out of the lab. Now, the good news is we've been working on solutions, monoclonal antibodies and vaccines. We're going to try to help people through this U.S.-Chinese disaster. If people would have been honest about it. But what we've learned through the House Select Committee, Steve, is amazing. Fauci, Collins, a whole cadre of scientists, they collaborated to conceal this global security threat. They actually intentionally lied to the world and said that the virus came out of nature. They knew it came out of the Wuhan lab. The research by Ralph Barrick and Dr. Shengling Li was published uh, in 2015, 2016. Nature Communications proceeds the National Academy of Sciences. They said they created SARS-CoV-2. They called it the Wuhan Institute of Virology One Virus. That was the prototype SARS-CoV-2. So that's in 2015. Instead of bringing Ralph Barrick out, Dr. Barrick, how do we get ourselves out of this disaster? You, you, you masterminded this uh, this virus funded by the U.S. The U.S. wanted to do this. But instead, it's just been a house of cards. It's been one lie after another. I've got only 90 seconds, but if you could, if you could enact three things right now, given everything you've just told us and everything else you know that we didn't have time to get access to, what would those three things be? I say, number one, I've called in the U.S. Senate, now the European Parliament, pull all COVID-19 vaccines off the market before anyone else is harmed. Number two, U.S., EU, and all westernized nations, pull out of the WHO. They're not trustable. And number three, I'm following the World Council for Health. I am recommending a halt on all childhood vaccines, the entire vaccine schedule, until this is clarified, since messenger RNA is now on the schedule without any concerns uh, for safety by the ACIP panel. 
Dr. Peter McCullough, uh, the wellness company, TWC.health. You want to check them out, TWC.health. They just came on board with us here at The Blaze, too, by the way, TWC.health. It's always good to see you, my friend. Thank you very much. That was Steve Dace at Blaze Media in a quick-hitting interview I had. Um, briefly, the Nobel Prize was awarded to Carrico and Weissman this week for their um, modification of messenger RNA, synthetic messenger RNA, with what's called pseudouridination. It was an attempt to make it less inflammatory, but what it did is it made messenger RNA long-lasting, essentially indestructible. Now out of control production of spike protein with the messenger RNAs, ironically, is uh, creating massive numbers of injuries, disabilities, and deaths. And a, a recent report, a 180-page report out of Montreal by Rancourt and colleagues, have estimated that 17 million people worldwide have died of the COVID-19 vaccines. It is a modern-day global disaster that's uh, that's taking place right before our very eyes. Um, I can tell you that the Nobel Prize has a history of this. Uh, almost all of the disasters that have happened with inventions by Nobel laureates occurred after the award was given. What's unique about Carrico and Weissman is that we see the damage going on right now, and they still got the Nobel Prize. But listen to this. Albert Nobel, 1867, invents dynamite, uh, You know, ultimately used for a lot of harm uh, during various wars uh, and embalmings. Uh, in 1918, Haber, of uh, the Haber-Weiss equation, uh, you know, describes discovery of very important chemical reactions. But later on, they're used in Germany, World War One and World War Two, for chlorine gas and mass genocide. Haber's wife is so distraught over this, she commits suicide with a bullet to her head with his revolver. Uh, 1948, Mueller from Switzerland. Uh, invents DDT, the pesticide that caused so much harm to wildlife and humans. It's banned in 1962. And then lastly, in 1949, Monitz is awarded the Nobel Prize for the prefrontal lobotomy. Uh, this rendered patients with uh, psychiatric illness essentially neurologic vegetables. It was so disturbing that uh, ultimately there was a giant battle led by uh, our own Dr. Peter Bregan on America Out Loud Talk Radio. And uh, uh, Bregan defeats uh, the lobotomists and frontal lobotomy is ultimately banned or taken out of clinical psychiatry. And, uh, uh, you know, these horrific outcomes are ex examples of why the Nobel Prize cannot be viewed as always something humanitarian or good. So on the back side of the report, let's get into it with Dr. Maria Cosma, who's originally from Greece. She's at uh, Louisiana State University in Baton Rouge, and we'll learn a lot more about her study of college mandates, lockdowns, restrictions, and vaccinations in our youth. So let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the wellness company designed their spike support formula with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. 
Go to OutloudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. I want to talk to you about an important trio of products I routinely recommend to my patients with long COVID syndrome, and that is the Healthy Cell Trio of the Immune Super Boost, Focus and Recall, and REM Sleep Supplement, all three of them. The Immune Super Boost in the morning helps charge the body with essential uh, vitamins and nutrients that help an individual fight off these frequent recurrent infections of other viruses that people get during the long COVID syndrome. The Focus and Recall, also taken in the morning, helps address brain fog, uh, this general difficulty in finding words, uh, irritability. Uh, It works wonderfully to help clear up some of the uh, neurological and neuropsychiatric manifestations of long COVID syndrome. And then lastly, at night, the Healthy Cell REM Sleep Supplement helps you go to sleep, stay asleep, get normal sleep architecture, so the next day you wake up well-rested and ready to go. So again, three products all work together very well in long COVID, post-COVID syndrome, the Immune Super Boost, Focus and Recall, and REM Sleep Supplement. There are three products. Go to our website, America Out Loud Talk Radio, and click on the banner for, uh, for Healthy Cell to get 20% off your first order. And you'll be ordering all three of these. They'll come in three separate boxes. They are utilized uh, microgel technology. They work very rapidly, and I'm relying on them in my practice with great results. So go check out Healthy Cell. Go to America Out Loud Talk Radio and click on the banner bar for a discount on your first purchase. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is McCullough Report. Cofix RX Nasal Solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flus, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. Changing the world one person at a time. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. I'm Dr. Peter McCullough, your host for America Out Loud Talk Radio, McCullough Report, and Courageous Discourse. It's an exciting day because I finally have on the show Dr. Maria Kozma, who is an associate professor of kinesiology at Louisiana State University in Baton Rouge. And uh, she's published an important paper, but I think has overall a very important lesson learned in the pandemic regarding college campuses mandates and lockdowns. Dr. Cosma, welcome to Courageous Discourse. Hi, Dr. McCallow. So excited to be here. Thank you for the invite. 
Yes. Well, tell, but Maria, tell, tell us a little bit about your background. Where are you from and, and where did you go to school and how long you've been in your current position? Yeah, I'm originally, I'm from Greece. I did my bachelor's degree in University of Athens in exercise and sports science. And then I went on to do my master's degree in Catholic University Louvain in Belgium and uh, in University of Uvascula in Finland. And then I moved on to Oregon State University to do my PhD um, in exercise and sports science, what is known now, now as the program of kinesiology. And I've been at LSU since 2003, so 20 years. Wow. Now, hey, uh, Maria, were you an athlete yourself in, uh, through the course of your life? I, I've been very active, not uh, recreationally, not necessarily an athlete. I've played some sports, javelin, if you believe it, in middle school. <laughs> yeah, I did some um, track and field, but not very competitively, just mostly recreationally. But I'm I'm pretty active um, now. I mean, I'm I'm going for bike rides. I'm doing aerial practice. I, I swim. I jog. So different activities. Yeah. Great, great. I just finished a bike ride. It's a beautiful day in Dallas. I just finished a bike ride, quick swim, put on my uh, sport coat to make this meeting. So I feel great. I'm relaxed. I'm ready to learn about your paper. So the title of the paper is Effects of COVID-19 Mandates on College Students, Exercise Experiences, and Psychosocial Health. But before you get into the paper, can you tell us the context of this? Why was this important to research this topic? So, yeah, it's uh, uh, because uh, we saw the negative and detrimental effects of those mandates on the student body um, when it comes to mental health, uh, physical health, um, financial issues, opportunities, education, uh, lagging in, in education. And um, so I did this study with my colleagues in Oklahoma and in California to test um, the psychosocial effects and exercise experiences of college students in the South, where our uh, stay-at-home mandates were not so extensive, versus the college students uh, in the West, in California, where they had harsher and stricter mandates uh, lasting uh, one, one whole year, even two years when it came to online education. Um, so, and, and lockdowns and uh, social, social isolation and ma mask mandates and all that. So uh, I interviewed those so-called students and we found out that the students who were in the South, they um, they did not experience those so much of detrimental effects of the students in uh, California uh, because you know we opened up uh, in the in the fall of 2020. We opened we we, we opened up. We went back to school. We um, we taught um, well hybrid at the time. Uh, but they were online. And so they experienced depression, anxiety, um, eating disorders, and their exercise levels dropped significantly 
In fact, for many students, they completely stopped exercising. So exercise mm. ceased. And um, they, you know, they didn't understand why all that was happening. Um, they thought that, you know, they were pretty healthy and a population of lower risk of COVID-19. And they wanted to get back to normalcy. They wanted to meet with family and friends. Yet they, they were deprived. So physical culture was deprived. Their physicality was deprived. And I explained a lot of that on my other paper that I sent you about total freedom in physical activity via body schema and how body schema, our motor habit, is understanding the world and perceiving the world and uh, being healthy in society. So I advocate a lot for um, respecting human agency and free will when we, when as public health agents, we make recommendations rather than mandates. And those re recommendations are to be ethical. They are to be based on the facts. They are to be well-studied, humanistic, and this is not what happened. And, and we, up to this day, um, based on the Census Bureau's household uh, pell survey, about 50% of young adults from 18 to 24 years old, they experience mental health problems compared with 32% of all adults. So we have lingering effects of those mandates. Um, financial hardship, um, educational problems, economic problems, and um, women were hit the worst, as we saw, especially people of lower socioeconomic status and so forth. I mean, they had to stay home with their kids uh, because the kids were online for a whole year. Well, this, this you know, is, I think it probably adds up but you know i the question is do the ends justify the means so during this time were there any serious cases of student to teacher spread of the virus that resulted in severe outcomes no no that uh, that we know of okay. um but, but were there any uh significant outbreaks at universities that resulted in serious you know mass mass casualties among the students no, no. In fact, there was a, there are several studies that uh, were published and they showed that uh, the risk for this population was very low. There was no reason for these people to, to be locked down. There was no reason for society to be locked down. Uh, this was not, uh, this, this, this is not even in the manual of the World Health Organization. No. And we, we have a, we have a success model here, and that's the Swedish model. Sweden didn't do that. Uh, they didn't lock down society. Uh, they, they respected um, free will and human agency, and they, they made recommendations. They did not mandate anything. Uh, they, um, they did not um, lock down schools, especially elementary schools. They did not even uh, recommend 
mask use. The only time they recommended mask wearing was on January of 2021 uh, on public transportation during rush hour. So 7 to 9 a.m. or 4 to 6 p.m. That's about it. In fact, for the schools, they recommended against the mask wearing. And what we've seen with Sweden is that their excess death rate is the lowest or one of the lowest in Europe. And what we mean with the excess death rate is if we look at the number of deaths between 2020 and 2022, the pandemic years, versus the number of deaths three years prior to that, Sweden's excess death rate was 4.4%, which was less than half of the average of the excess death rate in Europe, which was 11.1%. So they, their economy actually grew 0.4% when the world, the world economy dropped at 2.9%, US economy dropped at around 1.2% based on the Organization um, for Economic Cooperation and Development. So, but, but Swedish economy did fine, you know, and without the expense of human lives. But you know, they they trusted. You know, pe people we human beings are logical, to, for the most part. Uh, we adapt uh, during difficult times. So, in April of 2020, by that time, fifty percent of the workforce in Sweden was online. So they did this on their own. They had the option. And um, they limited their non-essential travel. You know, they they adapted. They tried to protect the most vulnerable people. And you know that that was the big question: How do we do that? And um, as, as you know, that's right up your alley. Um, early treatment is one way to go for somebody who, you know, who may need it. Um, but also exercise is so important. Exercise is key. In a recent review study by Torres et al., um, they said that exercise is the most important medicine for COVID-19. It should mm. be the first line strategy in uh, the prevention and treatment of COVID-19 and, uh, COVID and long COVID. And as we know, exercise has, and it's not everything, right? Exercise is not everything, but it's important. It's very important. So in Sweden, they, they recommended people to be active. They did not close down the gyms. They did not interrupt contact sports. They encouraged the people to be active. They, they did not limit or restrict physical culture, like what happened here or many other places. Maria, let, let me ask you something. It seems like early on, uh, there was just intuitively a big difference if people were in, you know, inside closed classrooms and conference rooms uh, compared to being outside. Uh, but yet we closed down open air stadiums. We closed down open air sports activities, intramurals. Um, how come the universities didn't keep the outside operations going? Um, this is a great question, Peter. And um, again, 
common sense, it's like, okay, what common sense tells us, you know, if you are outside, you should be fine as long as you're not uh, in a crowded, you know, um, area, but you should be fine and you should be exercising and you don't need to wear a mask when you're outside exercising. I mean, you know, you're outdoors, you're by yourself or even maybe with a few friends. So I, I have no idea why they did all that. And, you know, it's like Sweden was the a success model and they did exactly the opposite of what most of the rest of the world did. I, I cannot hear you, Peter. Why is it that the universities, um, there never seemed to be any accountability so it wasn't as if the president or the vice provost or somebody really was accountable for a mandate. We just heard that there was a mandate, and it seemed like it just came out of the ether. Uh, you know, at universities that you're aware of, were there people proudly taking responsibility for these mandates? No, I think um, uh, many students did not want that, they didn't want, they didn't like all that. Um, the, the only fortunate thing for us in the South, we didn't suffer as much as the universities in the, the West Coast, like in California. So um, I'm not saying it was ideal, like we went, We, I mean, I was teaching hybrid, we had to uh, in the fall of 2020, so we had a few students in the classroom and many online in Zoom. Um, but I, I, I don't, there was this fear. I mean, I'm sure there were several students who thought, you know, I don't, I don't want this. What if I get this seriously? You know, for sure, there, there are some, there have been such cases too. Or I don't want to transmit it to my family, my parents or my grandparents. But again, the approach did not work out very well. If you look at the excess death rate that I just talked about, if you look at, we have had over 1 million deaths in the US um, based on the data they give us about COVID-related deaths. And most of them were for, for older people, immunocompromised people. Um, so I, I think, again, I would, um, I would have liked to see more of the Swedish model happening here, um, more. Or, or how about just personal responsibility? If there was an older professor who is concerned that professor themselves could could uh, be on Zoom or you know take yeah. some special measures, but the students who felt fine, it seems like the, you know the students are paying tuition or the parents are paying tuition. The building should be open. Uh, the campus belongs to the students and the teachers can, professors can decide what measures that they take. It, it just seems like it was pejorative uh, in hurting the children. Now, a paper by Daniels and colleagues from the NCAA Big Ten showed in 2020, 30% of the athletes got COVID in 2020 uh -huh. and probably another 60% in 2021. That would be my guess. Is that what you think? Are we pretty much everybody's had COVID by this time, right? And, and I want to say that uh, what I meant with the Swedish model is exactly this is what they did. It was personal responsibility, and they gave a choice. 
So, and LSU gave us a choice for the professors. They said, you know, do you want to teach online or do you want to go hybrid? So we had that choice, you know, okay. after the lockdown. So we had that choice. Um, in California, from my understanding, it was online. It and was went, online. In California, they went two years, right? Yeah, yeah. So they were so they were hundred percent online the first year, and the second year they were hybrid. So it was synchronous teaching, in person and online. We were hybrid from fall twenty twenty, and so it was better for us. That's what and that's what it was better uh, for many aspects including education, including um, uh, physical health, mental health. So it was that's what we found in the study. It was better for us and many other studies. They, they showed similar uh, results, like, like where you have the harsher mandates, you had um, huge problems in psychosocial health, in physical activity participation, in healthy lifestyles and all that. But real, it seems to me a lot of this was kind of virtue signaling or choreography. Let me give you an example. My daughter was in law school at University of Denver. And uh, the year she graduated, um, I believe, was uh, 2020. And so graduation was canceled in 2020. But in 2021, they had a belated graduation. So uh, everybody came back to campus and uh, you know everyone's taking pictures and and the families are all you know in the stands and you know no one's wearing masks and everyone's free but they make the students sit about 10 feet apart in this giant um stadium and they make the students wear masks so for their graduation picture they're wearing masks and 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 you know and and the parents in the stands are not doing any of these measures and it just seems like uh, that these uh, they were almost putting the students through that as kind of to to show something or or choreography because it obviously wasn't applied to the whole group. Um, yeah, that, that is interesting that you say that because you would expect that the parents would be the one more concerned right. about their health and wearing the masks rather than the students. So you are saying that. They did not mandate this for the parents, but they did for the students, or they just let it free and they chose to do no, whatever they, they wanted. They gave specific instructions to the students, so <laughs> so all the all the video looked like uh, you know everyone was it was compliant with some type of code, but it wasn't evenly applied. We took pictures afterwards. We went out to eat. We saw their parents, and everyone was talking. Everything was back to normal, but it just seemed like choreography. We saw a lot of this with, uh, you know, sports and return to sports, uh, you know, a whole variety of of different behaviors as opposed to just a, a personal responsibility approach. Now, let's, let's kind of move into, I think, the really hot topic here, which is vaccine mandates on college campuses. Uh, uh, what do you know about that, and, and how bad was it at the beginning in 2021 when these vaccines rolled out? So, initially, that was you know initially we thought that those vaccines would be for older people, immunocompromised people, that they wouldn't be for everybody, and suddenly we got a blanket mandate 
Everybody has to take them, including college students. And then studies were coming out showing that healthy young adults, healthy college students, um, they, they did a study about boosters and they said they didn't really need the booster. It, it caused more harm than help if, if, if you compare um, booster versus no booster, okay, for college students. So there's a study that I cite that they, they talked about this at colleges. And then we have um, this whole discrepancy, like in Denmark last year, uh, they said nobody, nobody under 50 who is healthy should get those vaccines, right? And in many European countries now, you know, they since last year, I believe, they they don't recommend them for young adults, for so yeah, healthy, healthy young adults, healthy children, um, adolescents, uh, only for people who have some health problems and health risks. And you know, transparency was not in place. Okay, so we we don't. It's not ethical. I'm not a lawyer to go to go into the legality of that, of what they did with those mandates, vaccine mandates. Um, but um, certainly it was not ethical, coercion uh, and threats, right? So if you don't if you don't get the, the vaccine, you're gonna be kicked out of school, you're gonna lose your job, you cannot travel and all that. Uh, certainly it was not ethical and probably it was not legal, but again, I'm, I'm not the the legal expert to talk about this. Hopefully the legal experts are um, working on that. But, you know, if I, if I follow Aristotle's philosophy in his Nicomachean ethics, which is something that I study, uh, he said when a law that is unethical is automatically illegal. And I believe Martin Luther King also uh, was against unjust laws. So, Okay, so um, so transparency. What is the true efficacy of those vaccines? For what people? Uh, what about waning efficacy? And we saw that a lot, okay, especially with Omicron. Um, and most importantly, what about risk? I, I cite, by now we have so many studies on that and papers, including you know yours and your work. Uh, but I cite a study, uh, an Australian review, and they list a, a number of very serious side effects, you name it, uh, autoimmune disorders, cardiac disorders, as we know, myocarditis, pericarditis, uh, dermal disorders, menstrual disorders, musculoskeletal disorders, deafness, blindness, they, they death, they, they have a, a whole list of risks of side effects reported. So we have data, we have so many studies, including your study and um, the with the autopsies, right? You found out that uh, what the 70% of the deaths were from the, the vaccine. So these are some serious uh, this is very serious, and um, transparency was lacking, and I'm not sure if we now have it about the risk. Well, that's a very uncomfortable situation when something's 
mandated, but it has risks, serious risks, but there's no transparency. You know, in the, uh, it went all the way to the Supreme Court of India, but lead barrister Prashant Bushnan overturned the countrywide mandate for India because there was no transparency with the data. I thought that was a pretty skilled approach. Now, at, at its highest, I think we are over a thousand universities with mandates. I found out today that we're down to about 79 with mandates. So, uh, you know, are there any universities that you're collaborating with right now that still have vaccine mandates? Not that I know of, no. Um, but uh, Baylor, I, I read somewhere Baylor is having a mandate, College yeah, of Medicine. Ba ba Baylor College of Medicine uh, reinstituted a vaccine mandate. You're right, not Baylor University. Now, I'm a right. graduate of Baylor University. I'm on one of the the board of advisors, and I've told them very clearly, I don't want to see any mandates on, on campus. Uh, and there never were any vaccine mandates. Now in Texas, there were only four universities that had vaccine mandates. And they were small ones like Rice University, Incarnate Word, uh, I think, and, and two other small universities. But the big University of Texas system, the uh, you know, even the bigger private schools, Baylor, TCU, SMU, they never had vaccine mandates, but they did shut down for a period of time. And I think that was reasonable in January, February, March, April, kind of that spring semester of 2020. We just didn't know what was going to happen. And I can't fault anybody for that. Uh, but once right. we had it figured out in the summertime, you know, the Great Barrington Declaration, which I signed was published in October of 2020, and it said we shouldn't lock down. We should follow the Swedish model. And that was uh, Jay Bhattacharya at Stanford, Martin Koldorf at Harvard, and Sneetra Gupta at Oxford wrote that. I give him a great credit for that. And, and what a tragedy it was to have these lockdowns. All the analyses suggest it didn't work. People got COVID anyway. And you know what I thought was the most ridiculous thing? I had a patient in 2020 who was going to the University of Texas in Austin. And I asked him, I, I said, what's it like, uh, you know, right now with COVID? And he says, oh, it's really boring. We're on Zoom. Uh, we're trying to take these classes on Zoom. We hardly learn anything. And then I said, well, what happens after that? He goes, oh, we go out to the bars. We date girls. We play basketball, this and that. So they're getting tons of contact with each other anyway. So, like, what's the what's the purpose of locking down? You, you froze, Peter. Okay, you froze for a moment. But now you're back. Yeah, I don't know. And I have to say, when when LSU did the mandates um, back in 2021, the students only the students they had the option to opt out, and that's kind of Louisiana law where, as a student, you can opt out just um, either because of religious purposes or personal philosophy. So um, again, so that, that's kind of um, a relief, you know, for right. to some degree, uh, but, but you're right. I, I mean, they, the lockdowns and all that, they, they, they kept saying, Oh, it's boring. It's online. We don't want this. And they had the contact. They were going out. They were going to the bars. They, you know, right. Life didn't stop. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So they were definitely doing that. Now, did you personally receive any pressure 
to, uh, you know, go on Zoom or take a vaccine or were you pretty much free as a faculty member? Well, I, as I said, we, we were given the option to um, teach online or hybrid. So I taught hybrid because I had the virus. So I had the first train, so I had natural immunity. And we know very well that natural immunity, especially with the first two strains, um, the first one and Delta, it, it held it held up pretty strongly. Yeah. So I, I went I went back in the classroom. As for faculty and staff, the vaccine mandate, we had it and uh, only those with medical exception and religious uh, exceptions, they could, they, they were able not to, you know, to, to go back to teaching and, but I don't know, I don't know what happened. I haven't heard of faculty being fired or, you know, something terrible like this happening at LSU um, for people without medical exceptions. Um, at least this was not publicized anywhere. But yeah, the, pre the pressure was there. I mean, you had to take the vaccine um, or you could be terminated. And um, only those people with medical exemptions and approved religious exemptions could go back to the classroom. And, and do you know, do you have any idea? So this is at Louisiana State University. So this is a state school. And I presume that it was the same at the LSU, uh, uh, you know, the main campus too, right? Yeah, we we are at the main campus in Baton Rouge, so that was the right. But but also you have uh, you know, yeah, you've got some other campuses too, right? LSU. Yeah, it it was everywhere, and I think Tulane University, which is private, I think they started first with the mandates with the vaccine okay. mandates. Uh, do you have any idea what proportion? of the faculty um, got exemptions? That's, I don't know. That's a good question. I, I don't know, but I, 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 talked, I talked with some faculty and they were getting, several of people I talked with were getting exemptions. You know, many faculty were getting the vaccine. I mean, they, you know, they, uh, they thought that's the best for them and for the community because they, they, they said it will block the transmission. Right? They said, you know, when you get the vaccine, you will protect yourself, you will protect right. others. To, and then, nope, that was not even tested. So transmission was not blocked. It was right. not so, even you know, and, and by the summer of 2021, our CDC director came out and said, the vaccines don't block transmission. In fact, you know, there was many studies published that fully vaccinated people were transmitting it to fully vaccinated people. So so, so faculty at LSU had a mandate to take the vaccine with exemptions. And did students have a mandate too? They did, but the students could opt out. They could opt out on just philosophical reasons or? Yes, yes. Okay. So, um, and do you have any sense of how many just opted out from taking it? So, Early on, when they, uh, they they were talking about mandating it, they, they hadn't instituted the mandate yet. Uh, they said that about 85% of the students went ahead and took the vaccine. Wow. That's what they said. Uh, that, but that was before, before giving them the option to opt out. So... Few months, few months before the mandate, they said, you know, we're going to do this. We're going to mandate it. So be prepared. And 
They said that they sent an email out that about 85% of the student population had taken the vaccine. Um, and uh, then the mandate came and the option for the for opting out, it was then announced. It was it announced. Was, it was together. too late for a lot of the students. <laughs> it was too late for lots of students, right? And so I, you know, th these are the numbers advertised. That, that they were advertised at the time. Well, I tell you, it's really kind of an ugly report on policies, both the the physical lockdowns and uh, you know the effects on, on what it did to the students psychologically, exercise, diet, um, and uh, and of course the vaccines because the vaccines uh, were associated with record injuries, disabilities, and deaths, and they didn't work. The vaccines simply just didn't work at all. Uh, in the you know to, to mitigate this, we still have COVID. Uh, we still have COVID today, Dr. Kozma. Do you have any final words for our audience? This has been a good review of of what's going on in college campuses. Yeah, I I think that um, again, I would I would like to see if if we have such a pandemic again, and and I hope we don't. But if we do, um, I would like to see well studied ethical humanistic recommendations, not mandates. Um, public health agents do that by respecting free will and human agency, human freedom. Uh, as you said, uh, allowing people to use their common sense and do what is best for them and their families. Uh, kind of trusting people and transparency. Transparency is key here. It's true. Actually, those are the principles, right? So respecting uh, personal autonomy, medical freedom, human agency, and then transparency. What's what's going on? We never had, we've never actually had a, a an official safety report or a safety briefing given to the public on the vaccines. We you know we should have had one once a month. Uh, we should have made adjustments in the program when safety data came out. Well, we've been talking to Dr. Maria Kosma at. Louisiana State University, who's published a, a recent paper, uh, you know, I think solidly backing up her points that she's made on the mandates, lessons learned. Dr. Cosma, thank you for joining us on McCullough Report and Courageous Discourse. Thank you, Dr. McCullough. That was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report. Mm -hmm.